Luke, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 15 tonight. Thank you, Ms. Lois. Thank you, Orchestra. Thank you, Brother Royce. Be praying for Brother Royce, by the way. Brother Royce had a serious lawnmower accident this afternoon, and uh, he barely escaped with his life. And, uh, amen. I want to talk to you tonight about avoiding self-pity. How many of you know it's pretty easy to fall into self-pity? Pretty easy, isn't it? A whole lot of words surrounding that self-pity there and the graphic on the screen that really are the same thing. And we're pretty easy to feel sorry for ourselves. Uh, pretty easy for us to be conceited. Pretty easy for us to uh, find something to make ourselves feel, woe is me. Now, I understand that in life, there are some difficult things. I'm not belittling tonight, nor would I ever want to belittle brokenness in our life. And brokenness comes. It's real. By the way, it comes to faithful Christians. It comes to Christians who love the Lord. By the way, because you come to church doesn't mean that you're not going to have brokenness in your life. You know, the Bible is not some kind of talisman that, you know, as long as you carry the Bible, it'll keep away all the bad stuff. That's not the case. You know, Jesus told the disciples, hey, just be aware the world hated me. They're going to hate you too. You know, when you listen to the hell evangelist, or I'm sorry, the televangelist, and uh, they tell you, you know, just, you know, everything's going to be wonderful, and, you know, you just, uh, you know, send an offering in to the ministry here, and I'll send you a prayer cloth, and, uh, you know, you're going to get a new job and a new house and a new wife, and, uh, you know, all that stuff. They are of their father, the devil. Uh, they're liars. God's Word speaks about brokenness, speaks about difficulty. By the way, if you follow and trace out the lives of the men that God used to pen the New Testament, the end of their life, now, let me, let me, give me a second before you throw daggers at me, their life down here, the end of their life story doesn't say, and they lived happily ever after. Now, they're living happily ever after up there. But the Apostle Paul did not live happily ever after down here. Peter, we've been talking about in our Sunday school, the disciple, the making a disciple. Peter did not live happily ever after down here. Peter crucified upside down, as history would tell us. All the disciples, they suffered difficulty. Now, if that's the case, and it is, if it's very easy for us to feel sorry for ourselves, to get in that darkness and that melancholy. By the way, you, you look at the, the Psalms and you see God revealing the heart and we see the psalmist so often in that melancholy. So how do we, as believers, even though brokenness comes, even though difficulty comes, how do we avoid self-pity? Look at Luke chapter 15. 
familiar passage. Just maybe two months ago, I preached on this passage, maybe three. But Luke 15, verse 25, it says, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. What's happening here? He's having a pity party. He was angry and would not go in. Think about that. His brother's home. His brother's been gone. They thought he was dead, no doubt. Now he's home. Everybody's happy. Everybody's joyous. And the older brother decided to have a pity party. He decided, I'm not going in there. I'm going to stay out here and I'm going to be angry. I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to stew on all of this it goes on there in the passage it says there in verse 28 and he was angry and would not go in therefore his father came out and treated him now in in the West Virginia version uh, of this story it would say his father came out and beat the devil out of him but that's not what it says here Uh, the father came out and entreated him verse 29 and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son is come, which has devoured thy living with harlots. By the way, one thing that the son didn't know what his brother had done. Did you ever think about that? They had no idea. I mean, that may be the case, but his brother didn't know what his, what his brother did. He said he's, you know, devoured his living with harlots. Thou hast killed the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all thy I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Let's pray together. Lord, I believe a very needful very practical, very applicable teaching tonight. Lord, that we all need, including myself. Lord, how do we live in this world where we're going to face brokenness, where we're going to face discouragement, where we're going to have problems that are very real? Lord, how do we avoid self-pity? How do we avoid going down the road that the elder brother went? Lord, I pray you'd help us tonight. Lord, it may be that somebody here is already in the depths of despondency. Somebody here has already thrown themselves a pity party, and they may be the only member at the party, but they've been there a while. It may be tonight that there's some of us here that are beginning to focus on some things that are causing us to be discouraged causing us to look downward rather than upward. Lord, it may be tonight that we are encouraged in the Lord, but, Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Lord, would you give us the strength to face the difficulties, the brokenness, the troubles of life? 
Lord, I thank you tonight that although I don't know what tomorrow holds, God, I know that you hold tomorrow. Lord, I know that you know. God, help us to trust that. Lord, be with us as we look at this very simple message, this very simple truth. God, help me to preach it aright this evening. God, help it to be a blessing applied to the hearts of the believers here. And Lord, if there be one here tonight that knows you're not a Savior, Lord, I pray that they would see that you have an answer for them. The answer for sin, the answer for a relationship, the answer for an eternity with Christ. Lord, may they see that. Bless us. Help us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Today, Miss Gina asked me if I had some glasses for her. Uh, she lost her glasses. We found them. We do have, by the way, a lost and found area here at Cornerstone Baptist Church. There's some things back there. They've been here for about 20 years, Brother Ron. Uh, if you've lost something, come see me. We might have it. Uh, I remember when I was in college, I had one time had to go down to the lost and found in Bible college to find one of the Bibles in my office. I, my Bible disappeared. I guess I left it somewhere. It ended up in the lost and found. In the Bible, we have a lost and found department as well. And we find this passage in that department in the Bible. We have the lost sheep. Brother Maud would be very sad to lose a sheep because then he couldn't eat it. Uh, we have a lost coin. That would be me. I'd be very sad about losing my last coin. And then there's the lost son. Now, as we look at the lost son tonight, as we see the picture of him coming home and his brother being in self-pity, and it's such a, such a crazy thing, but I want us to think about it tonight. He was angry. He was bitter. He was upset. He was sulking. And he was stubborn. Now, as I said that, I wonder how many of you, like me, thought, he's like me. I, I have those things sometimes. Uh, sometimes that's descriptors that could definitely be used about me. Now, what he did have was so much more than what he didn't have. I want you to think about that. What did he have? He had the love of the Father. He had fellowship with the Father. He was working with the Father. He had a place with the Father. I mean, he had a lot of stuff. He had so much. What he had was so much more than what he didn't have. And yet he focused on that little teeny narrow window of what he thought he didn't have. And it brought him to a place of self-pity. He dwelled on the negatives. He spoiled what he did have because of what he didn't have. Think about that. In a couple of, I guess about a month from now, our family's going to go to the States and visit family. It'll be the first time in three years we've got to do that. And I know what's going to happen. I love my wife, but I'm going to pick on her just for a minute because I love her. I know that when it's the day before, time for us to come back home. 
before we have to leave and say goodbye to mom and dad. My wife, because she loves very deeply, she loves me once in a while, a little bit. She's going to be upset. And she's going to say, oh, I can't, I don't want to leave. You know, I, we, just one more day. And I'll say, hey, enjoy the time we have left. Don't allow the depression of, oh, no, we got to leave. We're going to have to say goodbye again. Don't allow that to steal the time we have left. And I know that's easier said than done. But Christians, sometimes we allow what we don't have or what we perceive that we do not have to steal the enjoyment of everything we have. And I want us tonight to, to focus on that just for a moment, just some very simple truths. Before we get into just a, just a couple of points tonight, I won't, won't be long. I want to think about a, a man we read about in the Old Testament, Ahab. How many of you know who Ahab is? Now, I'm not talking about the, the guy in Moby Dick. I'm talking about... Uh, I'm also not talking about Ahab, the Arab, the Sheik of the Burning Sand. How many of you know who that is as well? Uh, Ray Stevens' song. Uh, that was Brother Ahmad's cousin, actually. But I'm talking about Ahab, who was married to Jezebel. Imagine that, being married to Jezebel. Man, he had to be a miserable fella. And by the way, Ahab was a miserable fella. He was the king. He had amazing power. But one day he looked out and he said, I like that vineyard. Now, Ahab had vineyards. He had a lot of vineyards. He was the king. But he looked out at Naboth's vineyard and he said, I want that vineyard. By the way, the same could be said of David, King David of old. As David from his housetop looked down and saw Bathsheba and said, I want her. By the way, she wasn't his. She belonged to Uriah the Hittite. It was his wife. But Ahab said, I want Naboth's vineyard. And he was miserable and he, he went to his wife and and he told her how miserable he was. When I was a kid, I used to watch the old TV show, The Incredible Hawk. How many of you watched that? You know, you had that with Lou Ferrigno. Uh, I think that's uh, Brother Milton's cousin. They look a little bit alike. Uh, but Except Milton's a little greener than the hawk. But I used to watch that show as a kid. And The Incredible Hawk. Ahab was The Incredible Sulk. Uh, a little different. He was just as green with envy. As he said, I want that and I can't have it. He went back home and he laid down on his couch. <laughs> I wish I had that vineyard. His wife said, what's wrong with you? He was throwing a pity party, invited his wife, and his wife, being the evil, wicked woman that she was, said, just take it. Do whatever you want. You're the king. But Ahab was sulking, he was in self-pity, he was puffed up with pride, with selfishness, and he was controlled by another power. Controlled by another power. Christian, unless we're careful, we do the same thing. 
we end up in self-pity. We see something that we feel I, was, I wasn't treated right. That's not fair. I, I don't get that. How come I don't have that? I've got a dog at home. Tonight when I get home, I'll probably go have a cup of coffee. Now, he doesn't like coffee. But if I have something else with it, he's going to look at me and go, I don't have that. I want it. Why? He's a dog. We expect that. But sadly, we do the same thing sometimes. I want to give you just a couple of points tonight. Number one, I want to talk to you about the curse. The curse of self-pity. The curse of self-pity. How, how many of you parents think that that child might be your child? Anybody recognize that little girl? I, I'm not sure if it's one of your children or not. Uh, looks like Pastor Rice when he doesn't get coffee. But the curse of self-pity. The curse of self-pity. Letter A, it destroys our happiness. Can I tell you, self-pity will destroy your happiness. You know, you think, well, I've got happiness, but I don't have as much happiness as I want, so I have self-pity. You take that little bit of self-pity and you add it to your happiness, it's gone. It's gone. All it takes is for you to start one little pity party and all your happiness and joy is gone. It, it, it destroys happiness. In verse 28 of our text, it says, He was angry and he would not go in. Everybody's singing, everybody's dancing, everybody's having a good time. They're having beef brisket, praise the Lord. Uh, probably some baked beans and macaroni and cheese, Miss Lois, some cornbread. They were eating sweet tea. They were enjoying life. And he said, no, I'm not. Why? His happiness was gone. Christian, I guarantee you tonight, every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves and honest with God, we've been there. You get that little bit of self-pity. You drop that little bit of self-pity in your life. All that happiness is gone. Letter B, it destroys our usefulness. It destroys our usefulness. When we wallow in self-pity, we become useless. Last May, Brother Darren and I and Brother Herman... We're out hunting together, and Rebecca and Josh were coming up to meet us. And Rebecca had been in the area where we, she'd been there with me many times. And so they're supposed to meet us. I told them where we're going to be. Josh had never driven there before. It wasn't his fault. And me and Herman and Darren were sitting around. I think we were having lunch, weren't we, Darren? We're there at the lake, and we fished in a lake that had no fish in it for a little bit just because, and we're, we're eating, and... I get a text from Josh. I think this is the text word for word. The woman thou gavest me is useless. Is that right, Josh? I laughed for 30 minutes. He said about Rebecca, okay, Rebecca, you've been here. Where do we go? She goes, When I go hunting with dad, I just go to sleep and I wake up and we're there. He's like, she's useless. Christian, can I tell you, whenever we allow self-pity to rule in our hearts, we become useless to others. We become useless to our Savior. 
We, our usefulness is swallowed up in the curse of self-pity. The Bible speaks there in verse 28 and says he was angry. He would not go in. It says there in the last part of the verse, his father came out and entreated him. Now, I believe the dad was waiting for the oldest son to come. I'm guessing there was probably work that needed to be done to deal with all the guests. And you understand, that's his son. I mean, he's the one that's going to be able to help organize. And, and man, all these people are here. Like he, I'm sure he was like, man, where's he at? He's got to help. And he's outside. No. I'm not going in there. His dad went out. Why? He needed him. But his self-pity made him useless. When we, the curse of it is it steals our happiness, it destroys our usefulness. And, and, and get this, letter C, it destroys our oneness. Our oneness. Look at verse 30. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed the fatted calf for him. Listen to this. He didn't say, Dad. As soon as my brother came. No, no. He has divorced himself out of the situation. As soon as thy son. In other words, he is removing himself from the familial connection because of self-pity. He's refusing to have the connection rather than saying my brother's here. He's pulling himself away from the unity that he had with his dad. Dad had to come out there in verse 28, and it says he entreated him. He's begging him, hey, come on in. That closeness, that oneness, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. By the way, God wants you to have a close relationship with him. But when we allow self-pity to rule in our hearts, it's removed. It destroys it. By the way, listen to me. Families, God wants you to have a close relationship with your children, with your parents, with your spouses, with your brothers and sisters, with your cousins, your aunts. God's designed us to have that connection, but sometimes we allow self-pity. We allow many other of those words we saw along with self-pity to pull us and separate us out of the situation. It is a curse. It's a curse. That self-pity just destroys everything. Everything. Every one of us probably, every adult, could probably stand up and give testimony about some self-pity in our life and the results of it. You could probably give testimony of some broken relationships. Testimony of allowing self-pity to steal your joy. Allowing it to make you almost useless. That's the curse. The curse of self-pity. Number two. I don't know about you. I, I don't want that curse. So let's find out what is the cause. Number two, the cause of self-pity. 
all these things that self-pity bring, there's nothing in there that I go, yeah, that's pretty good. I joked this morning about going to the gym and lifting weights, and it was a joke, by the way. But uh, those of you that uh, lift weights, you know that you may enjoy it, but it's, it's hard work. But on the other end of that hard work, you're building muscle, you're getting healthier, there's some benefit, right? So it's like, okay, you weigh in the balances. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, I've got to get up earlier. Yeah, I've got to labor, but there's benefit. As I look at self-pity, there's nothing on, on the shelf of self-pity that I go, yeah, maybe it's worth it. Nothing. There's nothing about self-pity that I go, yeah, that sounds pretty good at all. It's all bad. So if it's all bad, I need to learn what is the cause. If I'm to avoid it, how do I, or cure it, how do I realize or how do I decipher what causes me, what causes you to get into that place of self-pity? Letter A, the cause of self-pity, restricted vision. Restricted vision. While I'm in the States, if I wanted to, I could drive an hour and a half away from my in-laws' home. And I could go to Holmes County, Ohio. Holmes County, Ohio is a place with a very high concentration of Amish. I could go there, and if I drove in Holmes County, I would see horses and buggies driving on the highway. And I say highway, the two-lane roads. I'd see the, the Amish farms. I'd see all of that. And as I watched the horses and buggies, I would notice that the horses pulling the buggies would all have blinders on. Flaps of leather built into the traces. That when the traces pull the bit in the horse's mouth, built into the harness is those flaps of leather. So when the horse's head is turned, it keeps that horse only seeing what they want it to see. Because those horse and buggies travel right beside of cars and trucks and semis. So to keep them from being spooked, they give them those blinders to try to focus the attention of the horse. Christian, I'm afraid so often that we put on blinders that narrow down our focus until we can only see one thing. Brother Darren will probably remember, but a few years ago I went down to preach a men's retreat for Brother Brad Friesen. And we drove the church van there, and I can't remember who all went. You were there. I can't remember. We picked up some folks in Calgary or in Red Deer, and we went. And when we were driving back, I had a, somebody had a pair of binoculars. I think it was uh, Pastor Buchert's son-in-law. Charles. And as I'm driving, you know, there's no traffic. We're driving down the road. Were you there, Brother Jerese? Do you remember that? You know, you know what I'm going to tell. I said, hey, Charles, give me those binoculars. I don't recommend this, Brother Gerald, but I took those binoculars. I was driving the van. And I tried to drive while looking through 10-power binoculars. Brother Mike, I don't recommend it. Now, there was no vehicles around us. There was no danger of us wrecking. 
well, minimal danger. But I did not drive looking through those 10-power binoculars for very long. It was a matter of a second. I'm like, whoa, that's not a good plan. Because you can't see where you are. All you can see is something so far out in the distance. Can I tell you one of the causes of self-pity is we magnify one thing and we get blinded to everything else and we get that focus. Notice verse 29. And we see it very plainly here in this text. This is the son who was stolen the pity party. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I, notice that word, serve thee, neither transgress, there it is again, I, at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. You see that? He's focusing on himself. Looking at himself. That restricted vision. Christian, can I encourage you tonight? Don't get a restricted vision of just yourself. There's an acronym, joy, Jesus, others, yourself. When we put ourself first and we focus just on ourselves, we forget others and we forget Christ. We need to keep that broad vision. But when we begin to really narrow down in all of our thoughts and all of our focuses on me, 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 I, 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 can I tell you who you act like? His name is Satan. The devil, Lucifer. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will be exalted. I, he had an eye problem. When we restrict our vision to ourselves, we begin to have an eye problem just like the devil. That's one of the causes. So be careful. Realize when you're getting to a point where all of your focus is narrowed down to what I want, how I feel, how I've been treated, what I can get, alarm bells should go off. There should be loud buzzers screaming in your head, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm really close to self-pity because that's, that focus, that tight focus on yourself brings us to that place. We see that in verse 29. Not only a restricted vision, but let her be distorted values. Distorted values. Christian, when we start to twist and get the wrong values we start to get to a place where we have self-pity. We live in a world, and, I, and I don't wanna, I'm not trying to be political, and most of you know me, that's not the case. That's not my purpose here tonight, but I, I want you to listen to this for a minute. We live in a world where a group of people would be willing to chain themselves to a tree to keep a tree from being cut down. And I love trees. I'm a tree hugger. I have to hug them to climb them to go kill an animal out of the top of them. Uh, but we, we uh, folks are willing to risk our lives to save a tree. And I, and I, I love God's creation. I, I'm not saying we should destroy God's creation. I believe we're to be good stewards of it. 
But many of those same people that would do anything in their power to save a tree cheer when they hear that abortion remains legal and we can kill children. Now, I'm not making a political statement tonight. I'm telling you how our values in our world have been turned upside down. They're distorted. You ever been in a, a, a fun house, they call it? You go in there with the Royce, and I look in the mirror, and I'm as skinny as Sean. <laughs> look at that. Sean goes in, he's as fat as Pastor Rice. We get all distorted. Mark walks in, he's as tall as Dallas. Uh, one mirror, he's all stretched out. Uh, we, we get all distorted in those mirrors. And can I tell you that our values, if they deviate from this book, they're distorted. It's not about how you feel. It's not about what makes you feel good or what you think. It's what has God said. And whenever we get away from that, we distort our values. We see the, the man here. He, hey, you never killed a kid for me. You never let me do that. The whole farm was his. Basically, his dad said, anytime you want. You want to go out and kill old Bessie and eat her? Have at her? I mean, this is this your farm. What are you talking about? The values got turned upside down. What really mattered. And I used an extreme case situation talking about those protecting trees and those not trying to protect children and I use that almost comical but sad picture to get us to understand so often we we get our values mixed up too you see we're, we're looking at two extremes but inside the middle of the extreme so often we get our values wrong we get our focus off. We get a distorted view. You know, if I took somebody, if I took Brother Pete, I know, I know Pete's glasses, I put them on before. If I put Pete's glasses on tonight and I looked at you, you'd look better, Brandon, because I couldn't see you. Uh, Brother Pete has, he can see into another dimension with his glasses. They are powerful. Uh, they, they wouldn't work for me. If we traded glasses, he could look through my glasses. He'd have no idea what he's looking at. I'd have no idea. It would just distort everything. Whenever we begin to get a distorted view and we twist our values. By the way, whenever we start to get the idea that the end justifies the means. We live in a culture that says that's the right way to live. Whatever, you know, if you're going to get something in the end, doesn't matter what you do. Just get it however you can get it. The problem with that is it brings you to self-pity. That's where it leads. That's where this young man lit, was led. By the way, number three, another cause of self-pity. I, I said that when we get our focus narrowed down and we see ourselves only. Number two, when we distort our values. Number three, outraged virtue. We see here one of the first records 
in the New Testament of virtue singling. By the way, we have it all across our culture today. And can I tell you where it leads? It leads to self-pity. In verse 29 it says, And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years have I served thee, neither transgressed thee at any time. He said, Man, I'm a good person. When we start trying to be outraged and lift up our virtue and say, Don't you know how good I am? I mean, look what I've done. I've never done anything wrong. Hold on. Never? But we begin to use those words. Why? Because we get outraged. We get upset. And that little bit of fire kindles a very big fire. And that big fire leads to self-pity. These many years have I served thee. No. We get a higher estimation of ourselves than we ought. When we begin to look at ourselves and lift our virtue up. By the way, if you have to tell somebody how good you are, you're not. The one that's always trying to blow their own horn, uh, be careful you don't listen to the horn. Let me encourage you in this too. When somebody, when someone praises you and I encouraging people, I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm going to walk a really tight line here. We should encourage people. One of my biggest encouragers went to heaven last year. I sure miss texts from Brother Terry. I'm not sure anybody could encourage me the way that that fellow encouraged me. It was helpful. We ought to be encouraging. But be careful when you receive praise from people that you don't listen to it much. I'm not saying don't praise people. I'm not saying don't encourage people. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying when you're the recipient of praise, try not to listen to it. Don't believe your own praise. You know why? Because before too long, you start to lift up your virtue. Oh, Maude, Brother Maude's pretty, right, I'm, I'm pretty awesome. Oh, I'm somebody. Yeah, he is. He is. At work, your boss gives you some encouragement. Praise God for that. I know most of you have lived your whole life and your boss has never given you encouragement. Me, I work for a company and the boss, man, you're a great worker. Be careful. Don't listen to your own praise too much. Be careful we don't allow ourselves to be lifted up. This young man had outrage mixed with virtue. And he was trying to say, I am so good, how could you not do this for me because I deserve it? Many ways, three simple things tonight just we see from this passage of how we could end up in self-pity, but I want to focus, lastly, as we close tonight, on the cure. On the cure. How do we cure it? Number three, the cure for self-pity. <laughs> Right before I married my wife, I got a job for a company called True Green Kimlon. I got a job in sales. And as I was working for True Green Kimlon, I worked with a guy who 
had worked in a past earlier part of his life, had worked as a bartender. Uh, he was a sales, one of the assistant sales managers, but he had, or he was the sales manager maybe at the time, but he had worked as a bartender. And I'm not sure how the two things correlate, but anyway, one day in the, in the office, the sales office, somebody got hiccups. You ever had hiccups before? Does anybody, when you get hiccups, it causes you great pain? Is anybody wired like that? Am I the only one? When I get hiccups, it hurts me. Like, I mean, and I, I've got a pretty high pain tolerance. It causes me serious pain when I get hiccups. I hate getting hiccups. And when I get hiccups, they're bad. I don't do anything halfway. And this person is hiccuping, and this guy who used to be a bartender, who was a sales manager, said, hey, I can cure your hiccups. And I was sitting there going, I got to see this. How many have ever seen a cure for hiccups? You know, you, ah! you scare them. Uh, how many of you were scared? How many of you lost your hiccups right there? You know, drink some water, hold your breath, you know, all those things. This guy, he got, a, he got a glass of water, I think it was, liquid, with a straw. And he told the person to hold their nose, plug their ear, hold their nose at the same time, and drink through the straw. Or you can have someone tip the glass. So you hold your nose, plug your ears, drink through the straw at the same time. That happened 27 years ago. I have not one time ever seen someone do that that it did not work perfectly every time. It is absolutely proven in my book. That is the cure for hiccups. It works every time, absolutely. Uh, you ask my kids, they'll tell you, if I get hiccups, man, I'm pour me a glass of water. Uh, I look like a weirdo. I don't care. It's going to work. I know that is the cure. If you got nothing else tonight, you learn how to cure hiccups. Amen? But what's the cure? What's the cure for self-pity? Letter A, abiding presence. Abiding presence. Notice verse 31. By the way, we have a picture of the Father and the Son. I praise God tonight that although I'm not a perfect son, I've got a perfect father. Amen? I've got a perfect heavenly father. Verse 31, it says, And he saith unto him, Son, thou art ever with me. Thou art ever with me. Christian, when you find yourself wallowing in self-pity, remind yourself of the presence of the Father. Remind yourself that he's with you. Now, I know, I know the, the problem is we think, oh, he doesn't want to be with me because I'm so horrible. We get so enwrapped in self-pity. But remember the presence of your Father. Number two, or letter B, if you're taking notes tonight, not only the abiding presence but the abundant provision, verse 31. And he said to him, Son, thou art ever with me. And then notice, and all that I have, it's time. I saw something on social media, just a quick blurb, and I didn't read it, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but some of you probably saw it and will remember better than I. But I believe I'm right in saying that Bill Gates' daughter just had a baby. Is that right? Am I remembering that well, I think? Anyway, it said something about the, the richest baby 
in the world. Now, of course, Mr. Gates, one of the richest men in the world, so it would stand to reason that his lineage would have access to his provision. Christian, your father is richer than Bill Gates. He has everything. There's nothing that I need that my father can't provide. There's been many times as a father that I've had to say to my wife as we've discussed some things, some needs for our children years ago, when I've had to say we, we can't afford that right now. Not that it wasn't a need, I just, we can't provide that need right now. Many of you parents, you've been there. And it, it hurts your heart to say, I want to provide the need, but I just can't. I've been there. You've been there. There's never been a time when God has had to say, I know. I know you got a need, and I'd sure like to help you, but I just can't. Oh, he can. I have abundant provision, not just barely enough, but abundant. Abundant. Overflowing. All that I have is thine. Let her see. Verse 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. You and I have let her see uh, an achieved purpose. When I get stuck down wallowing in self-pity, I can remember my relationship in the presence of God. I can remember his provision, and I can realize that I can be a part of his purpose. I can be useful. The father here says to the son in verse 32, it was meet that we should make Mary be glad. For this thy brother is dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Can I tell you where you can find the purpose to pull you up out of that self-inflicted depression. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not discounting medical problems and depression. I, I hope you understand that tonight. I'm talking about self-inflicted, self-pity. One of the ways that we can get out of that self-pity is by finding our purpose in what? What did Jesus say he came for? To seek and to save that which is lost. To seek and to save that which is lost. I have a dear friend, my wife and I, we have a couple that we worked with in the ministry in college. Rick and Ruby Belez. Rick was one of my bus captains in the bus ministry. and His sweet wife, Ruby. Ruby's from Puerto Rico, her family. Ruby's a, her personality is as big as this room, just 
one of those type of people. You never met a stranger, just bubbly, laughing, big, giant personality. Rick, a great guy, lovely couple. They have, they had three kids, I think. One day they went to church, dropped their little baby off in the nursery. And partway through the service, someone came to get them. And not through fault of the church, not through anything they had done, but that little baby unexpectedly passed away several years ago. Never lost a child. I've been with many who've had to walk through that valley. I've never walked it myself. But you can imagine how difficult that was. I'm sure they asked the question, God, why? Why our baby? We love you. We, we're trying to serve you. And God, why would you let our baby die? I'm just imagining the thoughts that I would have had. It would have been really easy for Rick and his wife to have spent a long time in self-pity. By the way, I'm not saying they didn't visit there. I'm sure they did. I, should, I probably would have. But it wasn't long. It wasn't long after their baby passed away that they decided they were going to try to minister to those who lost children. And they began to watch in their area, the newspaper, anytime they saw a, a death reported of a family that lost a baby or a young child. Rick and Ruby would dry the tears, their own tears, off their face. And they would try to make a plan to go and visit that family and tell them of the love of Christ. I'm not here tonight to tell you that Rick and Ruby never battled discouragement, that they never probably ventured into some self-pity once in a while. They may have done that. But they found purpose. They found purpose that pulled them out of crippling self-pity. Christian tonight, we need to find purpose in reaching people and helping people. We've got to realize God has a purpose for us. Don't live there. Yeah, once in a while you're going to end up in self-pity. It's going to happen. I pray that we learn to see and know when it's coming. And oh no, I got to stop. I got to stop focusing on myself. I got to stop having the twisted view and learn how to manage it. But can I tell you, when you end up there, Remember your relationship with the Father. Remember His provision. And find the purpose God has for you to pull you up out of that time of self-pity. Let's pray. Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us. Lord, so often we're guilty.
Lord, so often I'm guilty. Feeling sorry for ourselves. Throwing a pity party for ourselves. Lord, the curse of that destroys everything. Lord, it does destroy our joy. Destroys our usefulness. Lord, I pray tonight that we would make a decision that we're not going to live there. We're not going to take up residence in a place of self-pity. God, help us tonight to watch, to put up some safeguards, to be looking for those signposts along the way to self-pity to avoid that path. And Lord, as well tonight, I pray that you'd help us Lord, to realize that abiding presence that we have you ever with us. Lord, to see your abundant provision. And Lord, help us to find that purpose, that achieved purpose tonight. Lord, I believe you've got a great purpose for each and every one of us. Lord, I believe you have a great purpose for this local church. Lord, I thank you that we can find it together, that we can serve together, that we can strive together for the cause of Christ. Lord, I pray you'd help us all tonight. Lord, not one of us is immune from this problem. Not one of us can say that we fully conquered this issue. God, would you help us to get some help tonight, maybe at the altar? Lord, it may be tonight that we need to go to somebody, someone that we've allowed self-pity to cause us to break a relationship, to get it right. Maybe we need to go to a spouse tonight, Lord. Lord, and get some things right. Or parents to children, children to mom and dad. Or maybe somebody that tomorrow at work we need to have a talk with and say, I'm, I want to make some things right. I've been focusing on myself. Lord, I pray tonight all of us would have a talk with you. Lord, that you'd keep us from self-pity. Lord, bless us and help us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together tonight, Brother Royce? Let's turn to number 516. Is your all on the altar? Hymn number 516. You have long for sweet peace and for faith to and have earnestly, fervently prayed, but you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until. Would you walk with the Lord?
Let's close in prayer this evening. Lord, thank you. Lord, it's a powerful thing to realize how much you love us. Lord, as we unbox the gospel tonight, really, this morning, Lord, really and truly, we were unboxing your love. We saw from a few angles the great love you have for us. God, we confess that oftentimes we get our eyes off of that love. Oftentimes, Lord, we get our eyes on ourselves. And Lord, it leads to a place that we don't want to go and we don't enjoy being. A place that destroys so many things. God, help us to gain victory. Lord, I pray you bless every person here tonight. Lord, may you be glorified not only in what we do and what we say, but God, may you be glorified in the thoughts of our heart. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name, we ask all of it. Amen.